This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge is sponsored by CellPoint Mobile, whose voyage booking solution enables airlines to increase direct channel revenues and conversions. Visit www.cellpointmobile.com slash voyage aw to learn more. That's www.cellpointmobile.com slash voyage aw. We talked recently about how some of the airlines in Europe are starting to see profits similar to their counterparts in the U.S., But another continent slash region seems to be doing the same thing. The continent, Australia. The region, Australasia. And for the dominant airlines there, I'm talking about Qantas and Air New Zealand, the golden age they've been enjoying rolls on. For Qantas, they recently posted first half results for 2018, and it was even better than the year before, which was a strong year in its own right. Operating profit margin was 9%, up a point from 8% in 2017. And for Air New Zealand, the Kiwis posted a very comparable 8% margin in the first half, and they did so despite an 18% rise in fuel costs. Meanwhile, Virgin Australia still has yet to join the party. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the party animal himself, (laughs) Seth Kaplan. Managing partner of Airline Weekly. In addition to those carriers, we'll talk about SAS's triumphant quarter. We'll talk about Jet Airways' severe struggles. We'll check in on Qatar Airways, an airline that's still enduring a nasty blockade. Plus, have loyalty programs reached their peak? We'll talk about all that and more in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Hello and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. We're glad you're here. Qantas and Air New Zealand continue to enjoy the best years of their lives. Looking at the first half of 2018, which is historically the week half down under, they both posted high single-digit profit margins. Naturally, that bodes well for the full-year results. In Qantas's case, if it has a good second half, it could, for the fourth year in a row, post double-digit margins for the full year. Seth, do you think they'll get it done? Yes. Care to elaborate? Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so this isn't like a, a 46 second podcast, is it? Um, yeah, no, they, they, I mean, the simple math is that they, uh, they, as you said, they did it last year. I've done it for several years. Uh, so last year, their full year margin was, uh, I mean, just barely double digits, but okay, fine. 10.3%. Um, and this year, uh, their first half margin was actually a bit better than last half, about a half point better, rounded to 9% this year, rather than 8% last year, but about a half point better. And they said that the second half has started really strong. They described July as super strong. So uh, so there you have it. You know, the first half was somewhat better than last year. Uh, and the second half has started off strongly and last year was a double digit margin. So, I mean, look, the numbers are close enough that, of course, something could still go wrong. You know, generally speaking, if things kind of continue as they are, then sure, there's no reason to think they can't uh, put up another 10 or, you know, if not a perhaps an 11% margin for the, the full year. They've benefited from benign fuel trends. They've been well hedged. You know, I can cut both ways. Obviously, when when fuel is going down, those are the kinds of airlines that are going to overpay for fuel. Uh, so, you know, reasonable people can disagree about the 
hedging strategy and whether you should be as aggressive always as Qantas is. But the reality is that right now, uh, that's been a good thing. Domestic mainline is just going gangbusters right now, an 11% uh, operating margin for the first half. The first half is, as, as you might have deduced, the the weaker half typically of the two. That's how they get that double digit margin, even though you know, even when the first half is is not a double digit margin. So yeah, uh, Jetstar as usual uh, going well. They they specifically said that you know not only did the group the Jetstar group have a an overall eight percent margin, but all of the ventures, uh, you know, New Zealand, Singapore, Japan, Vietnam, every one of them was profitable. So it's not as if there's you know this laggard among them that's that uh, really dragging down the group. They're all to varying degrees anyway, uh, presumably profitable um and uh you know they're, they're happy with their joint ventures uh they still have one with emirates even though they've you know s- to some degree shifted their focus elsewhere you know there's you know flights back through singapore to get to europe and so forth a joint venture with china eastern is one joint venture they don't have that they'd like to have and that's one with american and they're trying again uh, the the u.s government um, uh, under President Obama, said no. They are they're, they're giving that another shot, and they and American uh, both very much want that to happen. But uh, yeah, no, this 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 is an airline where a whole lot more is going right than wrong. Last year, the full year results for both Qantas and Air New Zealand had them both achieving a ten percent operating profit margin. Do you think Air New Zealand can keep up again, or can again keep up with Qantas? No. Care to elaborate? <laughs> this too, we're uh, you know we're, we're splitting hairs. I mean, it, it, none of this is 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 dramatic uh, movement numbers in either direction. But look, whereas Qantas uh, you know improved a bit compared to the previous year, Air New Zealand in the first half slipped a bit compared to the previous year, slipped by about the same amount, by about half a point. Uh, so again, there with that as a starting point, you sort of have to start somewhere with, you know, when you're, you're trying to project these things, you know, it would take outperformance in, in the second half, which is not how things have been going this year. And the difference between two, these two airlines, it's it's fuel costs. Um, you know, a, a lot of the same things are going right at Air New Zealand as are going uh, right at Qantas. But whereas Qantas had, you know, a single digit increase in fuel costs, I wrote it down, what was it? Fuel up 9% in the first half because of those good hedges. Uh, Air New Zealand fuel was up, uh, doubled at 18%. And so, you know, the fact that they slipped just a little for the first half despite what happened with fuel is is really a credit to to a lot else going right but um but but anyway you know, for, for what it's worth yeah you would expect Qantas so far you know to have a, a, a slightly better calendar uh year than they had last year in Air New Zealand perhaps a slightly worse one uh you know Air New Zealand as one thing Qantas wishes it had which is a joint venture with a U.S. carrier Air New Zealand has its joint venture with United. Uh, I mentioned Qantas wants wants one with American Air New Zealand. Also, uh, you know, works in joint ventures with Singapore Airlines, Air China, Cathay Pacific, and it's now a code share partner of of Qantas uh, itself. Uh, not to be clear, a a, uh, a joint venture partner. Besides fuel, the one blemish for Air New Zealand seems to be the engine situation with the seven eight sevens. Can you update us on that? Yeah, another area where Qantas is is uh, I mean, you might just say kind of luckier in this regard. So. I mean, you hear about engine uh, issues with every kind of new aircraft. Uh, the, the Dreamliner is one where you do have two options. Uh, so kind of like with, with the A320neo you know, the, uh, in the narrow body space where you have 
two options and different airlines impacted by different engine issues, depending on which one which one they have. Well, in the case of the Dreamliners, these issues that we're talking about here are specific to the Rolls-Royce engines. Uh, and we're talking about um, questions about fatigue and cracking. I mean, of course, you know, you know, this is all the idea here is to prevent something from going wrong. So, you know, fortunately, nobody's gotten hurt. But yeah, a lot of inspections and replacements impacting not just Air New Zealand, you know, British Airways is, is one that's that had to make all kinds of changes, you know, wet lease some aircraft, all this kind of thing, Norwegian too. All in the pond uh, said they were what reducing their international ASKs by 4%. I mean, that's a big number, 4% of all your international uh, flying uh, starting October for, for, for the half year that starts October 1st for them uh, because of these kinds of issues. So it's impacting a lot of airlines around the world. You know, Qantas, because in their case, you know, has, has the other engines, the GE engines not impacted by uh, by these issues. And so uh, New, Air New Zealand is uh, struggling through that along with uh, a number of other airlines. Air New Zealand's frequent flyer plan seems to be particularly strong. In Airline Weekly, we use the financial term cash cow. Yeah. Hope I'm not getting too technical there. <laughs> <laughs> is there any particular reason AirPoints is so successful? Well, it's all with with all of these things. There's probably some. It's better to be lucky or, or good. You know, there's just always a little bit of both, right? When when things go very well, and um, and sure, it's by all accounts and appearances a well managed program. Uh, it it it's by the way a a, a revenue based program, a program where it's all about um, you know, earnings and redemptions. It's all about how much things cost. Uh, so they were an early adopter of that. It's become certainly not ubiquitous around the world among legacy airlines, but uh, becoming more more common. They were uh, they were an early one. Look, it's it is a it's a dominant loyalty pro- the dominant loyalty program in the country. So that's important too, because you know when you when you have just one program of its kind uh, with, with that kind of market power, pricing power, you know, that's going to be different from, you know, from, from, from a much more fragmented market. The U.S., to a degree, certainly Europe, where you have all these different national brands within the, the broader region. You know, even in, in Australia, where, where you know, Qantas Frequent Flyer is a very strong program, okay, there you have Virgin's program, which which is a, a rather successful program. So, you know, you, even in Canada, where Aeroplan, I mean, of course, all kinds of drama going on there, but you know, the, the very strong program, a lot, a lot of market power. But but you have uh, you know WestJet and other programs there. Uh, so so yeah, it, it it certainly helps that that it, Air New Zealand's program is by far the dominant program in in. Uh, in its market, alongside the fact that that you know that it's not just luck that they've made good decisions too. Okay, so those two are clearly winning. Now let's talk about Virgin Australia. Qantas continues to win market share from Virgin. Air New Zealand dumped Virgin as a partner, and if that wasn't bad enough, now Air New Zealand will partner with Qantas. But Virgin also made some positive strides in its first half. Seth, what's your prognosis? Yeah, so they are uh, at least going in the right direction. Well, yeah, let's do sort of the, the good and the bad. Operating margin, positive 5%. Not bad, right? Right. 
Yeah, here's the catch. That 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 was the operating margin for just their domestic mainline operation. So if that's all they did, you know, which is what they started off doing is Virgin Blue all those years ago. That even that's not a world beating profit margin. But but that's but that's you know obviously it's fine. Um, so that's the good. Next piece of news: uh, the international uh, mainline unit negative three percent. So that's the bad. And if that was all, it might not be such awful news. But the problem is you also have the ugly. Uh, the ugly is the negative 11% margin at Tiger Air, uh, Australia, you know, which they bought years ago. Yeah, so so uh, you add it all up and you're, you're talking about a, a, a break-even airline. They did have a positive fractional less than one percent operating margin which was up from from a loss uh in the year ago period there's some good signs for the second half um so you know that they you know should be able to to break even for for the year but you know when you look at how well things are going at Qantas and you know strong global economy all the rest of it uh, you know you you would you would hope for this airline to be doing better than it's doing it's an airline still plagued with its structure you know owned by largely by airlines with their own sort of strategic interests in Virgin, talking Singapore Airlines, Etihad, um, the H&A group from China, uh, which owns Hainan Airlines and others. And so, you know, you know, these are companies that are interested in, in, in things at Virgin that aren't always by some appearances about making money for Virgin, but about, you know, feeding their own hubs and networks and so forth. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's an old story now. Yeah, Virgin Australia really struggling and uh you wonder how long it can keep putting up numbers at those other units before it did uh it reevaluates things but no no sign of 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 um of a lack of of commitment to uh to all of that so it goes on and uh you know this this is, is an airline that you know we've mentioned loyalty programs a couple times and i know uh you mentioned in the introduction we'll talk about them more later but um but yes an airline where that velocity loyalty program is uh, it is, is really a, a lifesaver right now, as the loyalty programs were at U.S. airlines a decade or more ago when they were really struggling. You know, fifty-nine million dollar profit at the loyalty program. By the way, Jason, you know, I, I just took a look at you. You mentioned the dominant carriers before uh, in in the region, uh, you know, Qantas and Air New Zealand, and I was wondering, I'm like, okay, so they're obviously dominant by profits, but in terms of by size, I said to myself, how does Air New Zealand compare with? With Virgin Australia, obviously Qantas is far larger. But I said, how do they compare by revenue? Because I had a feeling they were similar. And sure enough, just for perspective, uh, they are basically they're almost exactly the same size. Uh, Virgin Australia did just over two billion dollars in in two billion U.S. dollars in revenue for the first half, and Air New Zealand just fractionally less than uh, two billion. So, some perspective there. Those two very, very similarly sized airlines that uh, previously worked together no longer do. All right, I'm going to venture into some dangerous territory here because I'm going to ask you, Seth, to pontificate a little. So, we've seen in recent years a number of airlines attaining and maintaining significant profits year after year, almost like a real business. 
There are the U.S. carriers, of course, and Ryanair, but also the IAG group has seen stellar success. Lufthansa seems to be securing things. And as we just mentioned, Qantas and Air New Zealand. So my question is, are we witnessing a sea change in the industry where the industry has finally figured out how to take care of itself? Or is this just a particularly good cycle that's eventually going to go away? Well, this is a particularly good cycle. Look, I mean, I think I think people learn, you know, companies learn. Um, and and I do think, uh, you know, whether or not there was that well publicized comment by by uh, you know Doug Parker at American Airlines, uh, I don't know, half a year or a year ago, where he said, you know, this company's never gonna, never never again gonna lose money. And whether or not you know that's that's true, yeah, you know, you, you look at it, and 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 airlines deal differently, and and I would say. You know, when you think of all those airlines that you mentioned, or you know, airlines and regions that you mentioned, just deal better with 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 conditions than uh, than they they previously did. You know, they understand what to do when fuel gets pricey or when demand drops and all that. So yeah, I, I, you 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 could envision you know things getting to a point where where this where there are still swings, but the swings just aren't as as uh, dramatic as they used to be. Look, this is still an industry with low barriers to entry where you know all it takes is somebody coming in and and you see it now, you know, in transatlantic markets all these uh new entrants doing what they're doing. Primera just announced a whole bunch of uh, you know, Mad- Madrid flying uh to the US and so forth. Yeah, it, it's it's uh the the incumbents deal differently now with with situations than they previously did and and have better outcomes from that. The other thing is that that as those incumbents get bigger, so on one hand, barriers to entry are are, are always low. You know, anybody with a an airplane and, and a little bit of money can you know can can start flying. You know, on the other hand, it, it's I think in some ways tougher for these companies to break in simply because scale does matter in this industry, and and the incumbents are post consolidation just so much bigger than they used to be, and so even when you start from scratch and you might think you have very low costs, you know, because you have junior employees and all that with no benefits of scale. I think it, 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 it's, it's, it's tough for some of these, uh, some of these new players. So, uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I would cautious yes to that, you know, this question of, you know, have, 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 have things changed, um, in, in a way where, where they'll never again be as bad as, as they were for the dominant players. I, I, I think to some degree they have. It's time to thank our sponsor, CellPoint Mobile, a leading provider of mobile-first technology solutions for the global airline industry. Visit www.cellpointmobile.com voyage aw to learn about Voyage, their branded configurable booking engine designed specifically for your airline and the needs of your passengers. Again, that's www.cellpointmobile.com voyage aw The good news continues for Scandinavian Airlines, better known as SAS. When you're that far north, you've got to make hay when you have warm weather, and SAS seems to have done just that. The company reported a 16% operating profit margin in their May through July quarter. Seth, is SAS becoming one of those solidly profitable airlines that we just talked about? Uh, Yeah, I think it'd be a bit of a stretch to say that i mean they're doing really well uh you know by by their historical standards if if you go back uh, so I, I just did the math look, looking back a year uh just to sort of get their up to the minute annual operating profit margin and it's 6% now i mean given everything that they face uh you know given 
Norwegian, you know, with lower costs, uh, doing all that in that region, and of course losing all kinds of money. Yeah, and, and other less direct but important competition. Uh, you know, Iceland there struggling badly also, and and just 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 all the transatlantic capacity. Uh, I mean, bravo, you know, for 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 that six percent. But it, but you know, the 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 even broader context is that things are going really well in the world right now. Things are going really well for uh, for airlines in Europe, aside from Norwegian and, and a few uh, real, you know, some of the real problematic cases. This is an airline that that if if ever you know it sort of a treadmill was a metaphor, right? I mean, they just you know they they keep up and then it just keeps going faster. You would want to do better than six percent in some of the best operating conditions imaginable. And by the way, you know now that they're making money, unions are saying, hey, we all that everything we gave back, you know, back to to save the airline. And I mean, they were if ever there was an airline on the precipice of, of, of liquidating, it was SAS, you know, so that bill is coming due. And Ryanair, uh, still not a big player in Scandinavia. And as they continue growing, you know, there, but for the grace of Ryanair, right? Because <laughs> the competitive situation in, in Scandinavia. So, uh, so, so there are just sort of those ever-present risks for an airline that still has some structural issues. An airline still with, you know, this is a not huge, you know, sizable, but a not huge airline with three hubs and kind of all the the, the lack of scale that comes with that. Yeah, just 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 those vulnerabilities. But you know, that said, they they just raised their full year earnings forecast. Uh, demand is great. Intercontinental yields, they said specifically, were uh, were were very strong. So uh, the, the, you know, everything Norwegians facing and all that not being uh, being felt by by SAS. So uh, the story is a very good one. I just wish it was even better you know, from 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 their perspective at a, at a, a global moment like this one. While SAS is enjoying the summer, winter has come for Jet Airways, metaphorically anyway. Jet, who seemed to be on the comeback trail, has gone astray. All the Indian carriers are enduring currency problems and overcapacity, but Jet is faring worse than SpiceJet and Indigo. In the second quarter, SpiceJet had a 1% operating profit margin. So did Indigo. But Jets was a ghastly negative eighteen percent margin. Yeah, don't and like you said, don't check your map. Yes, India is in the uh, the 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 northern hemisphere, but um, you uh, you you wouldn't know it from that negative. Bears repeating negative eighteen percent. Uh, so much worse than anybody else. And domestic is 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 a big problem for them. It's, it's almost like I mean, look, the the LCCs aren't doing all that well, all, all that well anyway, but. It's kind of like how things were maybe in in uh, the U.S. back a decade, decade and a half ago, when um, you know domestic fares were really low, and you had these bloated legacy airlines that just in a low fare environment just couldn't compete against the the LCCs, and and you know sort sort of that kind of kind of situation here. Not that things are going well intercontinentally either. I mean, just when when, you, when your results are that bad, it's uh, it's usually because Nothing's going particularly well. Uh, I'll give you a few, uh, just a few figures here. Uh, ASK capacity up nine percent year over year. So there's an airline that's that's growing rather rapidly, you know, without any obvious demand to uh, to justify it. So capacity up four percent, or excuse me, nine percent. Revenues up four percent. So obviously revenues not keeping pace with capacity growth. That might be okay if costs were also on the low side. But what happened to the cost? 
up 25%. So again, you don't have to have a calculator to figure out that when revenues are only up 4% and costs are up 25% on a 9% increase in capacity, things are probably going pretty poorly at your airline and airline that's operating. I mean, as all the Indian carriers in a in an environment where the currency has has uh, declined, yeah, the rupee, one of those emerging market currencies that 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 has indeed uh, struggle, and and this is an airline, yeah, just looking for for you know, for money uh, to keep flying. Another airline, no surprise, that is interested in or willing at least to perhaps sell part of its loyalty program. It's Jet Privilege uh, again, one you know, one of the only bright spots of that airline uh notice that it's very rarely strong airlines these days that talk about doing that we mentioned virgin australia before um you know willing to sell you know always looking at velocity as as uh as a source of of profits where where there's uh where there are little others um so not much going well uh, look jet does have that new cooperation with air france klm delta virgin atlantic that that's cause for some hope. I mean, it's it's uh, kind of seems like anything Delta touches, you know, ultimately often goes well. You know, sometimes airlines use other airlines for their own purposes, and things don't turn around at that uh, at that other uh, that other airline. So, yeah, a lot more. What it, I feel like earlier in the show, I said a, little, a lot more going right than wrong. I think we we're talking about Qantas uh, here. A lot more going wrong than right at Jet Airways. SpiceJet has said it wants to do some intercontinental flying, the idea being to diversify itself away from the uh, India's domestic problems. Is that a good idea? And what would that mean for Jet? Well, low cost, long haul. <laughs> I feel like we've had this uh, this discussion once or twice. I mean, look, uh, you know, there, there are always exceptions. Um, around the world but uh you know whenever you try to make a blanket statement but that that's just been a tough model for uh for for low-cost carriers and 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 sometimes you know i mean you don't want to oversimplify but part of it comes down to you can lose a lot of money flying long-haul routes i mean and that's that's kind of part of it right just just um you know when you try something short haul and it doesn't work um, even if the margins are really bad, sometimes it's just not very much money that you're really losing. But when you start flying long haul, um, it, you know if it's not working, you, you can you can lose a lot of money doing it. And that's why even when you look at a successful airline, let's say Cebu Pacific in the Philippines, right? Um, you know things things have gone rather well there over the years, and then they started flying long haul, and it clearly didn't work, and they. You know they've. I mean, they sell the planes, but they're doing uh, other things with them. But you know, they they very quickly got rid of those markets because they were just a really big drag on the airline. Or look, American Airlines, biggest airline in the world. You know, when they when you see them pulling routes, uh, you know, their their routes from Chicago to China, um, you know, kind of high profile flagship stuff. You would think, come on, don't you want to just keep doing? I mean, you're a big enough airline, just keep doing it, uh, just for competitive reasons. And but they said no. We were just losing so much money that 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 we had to get out. And so when you look at you know the losses at Jet Airways, and you just kind of ask yourself, what's SpiceJet going to do? That's uh, that's that's going to go all that well. So you know, not to say there's not some scenario that somebody could imagine where it goes well, but it's not one I can imagine. One airline that we haven't talked about in a long time is Qatar Airways, who is still enduring a blockade by neighboring states. 
Seth, how is Qatar holding up? Probably not well. Uh, they've said they're going to report uh, their their financial results. Uh, th- now these are these will be for the year to March 2018. So takes a while, but uh, that that's going to emerge soon. But it's hard to imagine the story uh, will will be very good. I mean, even though they benefit from certain, you know. Ancillary businesses that that uh, that other airlines don't benefit from, and so forth. Um, yeah, that blockade. I mean, when 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 you suddenly, as an airline, can't fly to your neighboring short haul markets, and I'm talking for them about Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Egypt. You know, they've they've tried to make lemonade. You know, they've they're they've they're flying other places, uh, Southeastern Europe and Turkey. You know, lots of Greece, for example, just kind of wherever they can get with with uh, narrow bodies from from the. Uh, from the Arabian Gulf, from from Doha, yeah, because these are planes that used to fly to those places where they can't fly. But obviously, if you thought that those were your best opportunities, um, you you would have flown them first <laughs> instead of flying to the markets that you're that you're no longer uh, able to fly. The ASEAN region, Southeast Asia, another place uh, where they're going. They just announced uh, Da Nang in, in Vietnam. That's their their third destination there, along with the big two there, Ho Chi Minh City and Hanoi. So uh, uh, they're um, doing what they can. But it's it's uh it's not easy. By the way, plans launched an airline in India. You might remember that they said they wanted to launch an airline in India. Those plans seem to be on hold. I mean, regulatory issues in India. But gosh, uh, that might be a favor for them because when you think about what's going on in that market, I'm not sure I'd want to be launching an airline there right now. Okay, we've mentioned loyalty programs a few times on the show and. Now it's time for the big payoff. <laughs> As you know, this week's cover story is a high-level overview of everything happening in the world of loyalty programs. Yeah. I don't want to steal thunder from the article, so I'm not going to ask you about most of what's in there. But I do want your thoughts about one question. Basically, whether these programs will keep growing in importance the way they've been growing, or have they peaked? You know, I, I think you sort of have to split that in, into to two different things. So the so there's the question of like program profitability and what if you want to sell your program. And I think I have bad news for you know Jet Airways if it thinks it can go sell jet privilege for for trillions of dollars, or Norwegian and other again, it's always troubled airlines. They they know there's that loyalty program, and unfortunately, I, I think the party's over for trying to do that. It ended rather abruptly with what happened at Aeroplan, right? I mean, that's like the, it's like the cops showing up at the party and sh- shutting it down, right? I mean, it, it and, and just to review for anybody who hasn't been paying attention, you know, Air Canada, uh, what, 15 years ago or so, uh, sold off its loyalty program. Aeroplan was, was an internal program at Air Canada. The airline was desperate. The program was profitable and, and it, it began selling off the program and it, an IPO and it became just a fully independent program. And Air Canada promised to promise that Aeroplan would remain its program for a really long time. But now that really long time was 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 coming to an end, Air Canada said, look, we're going to go start our own program. And then finally, it said, oh, well, fine, we'll just buy Aeroplan back. But it kind of did it for pennies on the dollar because everybody realized that although Aeroplan was putting on a brave face and saying, oh, we don't really need Air Canada, we have these other potential partners, airline and non-airline partners alike, and they were you know, doing some creative things. I mean, the reality was that the program was largely dependent on Air Canada. And so you know, anybody who's kind of looking at these programs and trying to do the valuation, oh, look, here's this unit of the airline. And yeah, sure, if you look at the PLs, and I mentioned before, right, the, you know, the Virgin Australia, I was just about to call them Virgin Blue, the Virgin Australia, 
as they've been called for many years now. Like the loyalty program, even though it's you know by revenue is much smaller in the airline, is 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 like just as profitable as 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 the airline itself. Uh, and many times these programs are profitable at a at a at an unprofitable airline, you know, like Norwegian, right, uh, or like Delta, American United, and all them uh, a decade and a half ago. Um, so so if you just look at the program itself and say, oh well, what if we took the program out of the airline and then you know did an IPO or sold it to somebody else? Uh, it, it it should be a really valuable business, but. You know, but yeah, now the bill for that is 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 very much coming due. That's the second time I've said that this program. I need new new cliches, uh, but uh, uh, but in this context, also that bill coming due, in the sense that you know, it turns out that it's not like another business because you know most other businesses aren't almost completely dependent on somebody else's business, and so it's you know I think now going to trade at a discount. Um, and so I mean, there's value there, but whoever's looking at those programs uh, and thinking about buying them, or if you're going to take it to the marketplace, I would have to think, uh, you know, and I'm not an equity analyst or anything like that, but but just you know, you, you'd have to think that the market or, or a potential buyer would would you know apply a significant discount nowadays, realizing that someday. Uh, what happened to Aeroplan could happen to any of uh, any of these programs because you know the airline isn't going to probably promise to remain in perpetuity with with the program, you know. So 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 there you go. Um, so as far as the valuation of the program, I think it's it's it, it's difficult to be as bullish as people were in the past. But then the question about just the programs themselves, like have they peak and keep things keep going? You know, it's, that, that's a more interesting question. You know, people say, look, as these airlines, as the mature programs in some ways get devalued from a consumer standpoint, and, you know, airlines will say they're not doing that. But, but yeah, I mean, there's there's no question that it takes a lot more miles to get a uh, you know business class trip to Asia using Sky Miles now than it did, you know. 15 years ago, right? Uh, and, and Delta uh, and, and many of these other programs. I mean, they've, they, you know, these are airlines that have said, look, we have we have more market power than we once had, essentially. You know, clearly is what they're saying. We don't need to make these programs as generous as, as they once were. And then what does that do to program profitability uh, in terms of, you know, if people feel like the program's not generous enough, does it make them less likely to want to take a uh, the co-branded credit card and, and and those sorts of things? And there are some signs out there that uh, we, we in the article cited Gary Leff's blog view from the wing. He, he looked at some numbers earlier in the year where he, where he uh, uh, at America that United in particular, but American had made some similar commentary, some indications that partner partner mileage sales airlines, you know, selling these miles to especially their credit card uh, partners, but also other you know, hotels, rental cars, or everybody who buys miles from airlines. That there was some pressure there, um, and and that's still that's difficult to say. There's no, there's no, you know, it's just see dramatic data everywhere suggesting that. So at the very most mature programs, perhaps there is some sign of of, uh, of pressure. Um, you know, most other programs are just growing from such a small base that they have a lot of room to grow. I mean, around the world, you look at European programs; they're just tiny compared to U.S. programs. So just just all kinds of room uh, for uh, for growth. Chinese programs. Programs are larger than European programs, but you know, in the market, the size of China, uh, still all kinds of room for uh, for growth. So uh, that was a long answer, Jason, uh, to to an interesting question. Um, program valuation as businesses, I, I, I'm not sure we'll ever see it again. You know what, what we've seen airlines in the past sell these programs for, but uh, but in terms of the the power of these programs, uh, uh, you know, some some signs of pressure at the most mature programs. 
but around the world, all, all kinds of possibilities still for, for these uh, for these programs. Speaking of mature programs, this one is getting <laughs> long in the tooth. I think about the, this episode anyway. As always, if you like the show, share it with your colleagues. They can subscribe to the Airline Weekly Lounge through iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever they get their podcasts. They can also subscribe at AirlineWeekly.com. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for spending some time with us. This episode was sponsored by Cellpoint Mobile.